The text of our sermon this morning is from the, the uh, Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, beginning at verse 14. And so I'll invite you to turn to that Gospel account of a beautiful story. And in honor of our mothers, I'm going to ask you who are mothers to stand with me, those of you who are mothers, to stand with me for the reading of the Scripture. Now, if you're not a mother, don't stand. All right? Let's do it right now. Would you please? And when they came back to the disciples, that is, Peter and James and John and Jesus, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. And immediately when the entire crowd saw him, Jesus, they ran up to him. Uh, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. And I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. And he answered them and said, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion. And falling to the ground, he began rolling about and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often thrown him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the boy's father cried out and began saying, I do believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. And after crying out and throwing him into a terrible convulsion, it came out. And the boy became so much as like a corpse that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him up, and he got up. And when he had come into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Thank you. You may be seated. A young man was planning to enter the pastoral ministry and he was uh, anticipating what that would be like and was talking to an older pastor about the challenges and the opportunities that lay ahead. And one of the things that uh, intrigued this young would-be preacher was the possibility of performing a wedding. He, he was just really fascinated by that prospect. And so this um, older pastor began to 
visit with him about how to perform a wedding. And with careful and loving detail, he went step by step down the, uh, down the order of the wedding ceremony, telling him how to do everything. And he concluded his little bit of instruction by saying to the young would-be preacher, now if you forget what you're supposed to say, just quote scripture. Uh, quoting scripture is always appropriate. And so when the time was right, this young man was ordained and he went to, the, uh, to pastor a small church and the time came for his first wedding. He was so excited and a little bit nervous, but everything went beautifully. He just went right down the line, got into the wedding, to the end of the wedding, pronounced the couple husband and wife, and then forgot what he was to say next. His mind went totally blank. But he did remember the older pastor's advice, quote scripture, it's always appropriate to, to quote scripture, unfortunately. The only scripture he could remember which he dutifully quoted was, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. I think this morning that that prayer could be pronounced over a lot of homes. For parents who are doing their best at, uh, at parenting are so ineffective and unsuccessful because we just don't know what we're doing. And not only do we need to pray, Father, forgive us, but we need to pray, Father, show us how to be successful parents. We need some kind of role model, some healthy and helpful role model after which we can pattern our lives to give us inspiration and help in this matter of parenting. And such a role model is this nameless father in our text. And I want to use this man, this father, as a, as a model this morning to preach a sermon under the title, How to Be a Successful Parent. Oh, I know it's Mother's Day, but it's also Parent Dedication Day. And you know what happens on Mother's Day for most of us? Really, Mother's Day is an indictment to most of us, a reminder that most of the spiritual help and influence and strength in the home comes from the mother and it was never meant to be that way. And so I want to speak this morning not just to parents in general, I want to speak to fathers here in particular and I want us to use this nameless father as an example of what it means to be successful parent. Now the question is, what is so great about this father? What was so great about him that makes him an effective role model after which we are to pattern our lives. Well, in the first place, he gave priority to the responsibility, to his responsibility as a parent. Now, you can see that all over this text, as a matter of fact. The fact that he went all over the country looking for some help for his troubled son is indicative of his deep commitment as a father. He didn't have to do that, really. He could have said to his wife, Honey, it just takes all the time and energy I've got to make a living. I mean, 
just everything I've got to keep our heads above the waters, to keep the wolves away from the door. I just don't have time or energy for the children. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll take care of the responsibility at work if you'll take care of the children or the home. Or he could have just ignored the problem or he could have recognized it and just resigned himself to the fact that this is one of the inevitable crosses that life thrusts on our back and I'll just have to bear it. These are normal responses for the modern home. But he didn't follow any of these cop-outs. He recognized the need as a parent that he had and he started out in search. He started out seeking some miracle worker, some pious saint who could help him with his son. And behind that responsibility lined up every other responsibility and he gave parenting first priority in his life. I can just imagine him going one day to work with this heavy burden of a son, troubled son, on his heart. And, it, and if it took place today, it would, be, it would look something like this. As he walked into the office to his boss, and he, he would say, Sir, I need some time off. My boy needs me now. He's the only son I've got. I want some time off so I can take care of my son. And I can hear the boss saying, Well, how long do you need? I need you here at work. I don't know how long it's going to take. But I'll be gone as long as it's necessary to deal with the need of my child. Well, I'm afraid I'm going to have to find somebody else if you can't tell me how long you're... We've got, to have, we've got a business to, to, to manage here. Well, I love my job and I'm dependent upon my work and I'd, I don't know what I'm going to do without the income, but my boy is more important to me than my job. Or I can see him, maybe a merchant, as he gathers his employees around him one day and says, I'm leaving today and I'm going to take care of my responsibility to my son. And if it gets to the point where you have to close the doors on this business, close the doors because my son is more important to me than my business. Can that be said of you? I heard a man say one day that he was busy getting to the top, a successful pastor. He said, I was preaching somewhere every day at noon, some civic organization. I was on the move. He said, every night I was in great demand as a preacher, as a speaker. And he said, I labored and I was getting ahead in my responsibility. I had a heavy schedule. He said, one morning I went out to check with my secretary as for the schedule of the day. And he said, I noticed an entry there. I didn't recognize. Saw the name, didn't even recognize it. Said to my secretary, well, what's this appointment? A couple of hours just marked off in the afternoon. The secretary said, oh, that's your, your daughter's name. She, she came in this week and said, would you find some time when you could put me down so I could spend some time for my dad, with my dad? He, had, he, he just hasn't had much time with us lately. And, 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 and he said, the secretary kind of looked at him and said, it's none of my business, sir, but I think he needs to spend some time with your family. And the intensity of this man's commitment to his role as a parent is, is seen in the language of this text. Now, now the Luke account says that, 
that the, that the Father said to Jesus, Master, I beg you, look upon my son. He's the only boy I have. That word beg is a heavy word. It's used also in the Gospel of Luke by a leper. And one day Jesus passes by and the leper says, Master, I beg you, make me whole. It was the most important thing to him to be cured of his leprosy. It's seen again in the 21st chapter of the, gospel of, the, of the book of Acts. And the mob seizes the apostle Paul and he stands before the crowd and uses the word and says, Oh, brethren, I beg you, hear me. It's a matter of life and death. And every time this word is used in the New Testament, it expresses an intensity of desire, an urgency of purpose, a priority of concern, and it's the same way in this text. It is as if this Father is saying to Jesus, Oh, Master, my Son is the most important thing in the world to me, and I've got to have some help for Him. If I can't have help, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I want you to know that this is top priority with me. Can it be said of you? Can it be said of you this morning that your commitment as a father and as a parent has top priority? Now listen to me. A question I want to ask myself. Are you as serious about succeeding as a parent as you are about succeeding in your business? Do you invest in the life of your children just as carefully as you invest in stocks and bonds? Do you spend as much time developing the life of your children as you do your backhand or your golf swing or your business or your body? When I was in West Texas, I had a man in my church who raised uh, cattle. He, he, he was, uh, uh, had these hybrid cattle, beautiful cattle. It was of such a man that this poem was written. You talk of your breed of cattle. You plan for a higher strain. You heap up the fruit of the pasture and double your measure of grain. You call on the wits of the nation to better the farm and the pen. But what is your word for the homestead? Answer, you breeders of men. You boast of your Angus and Herefords and the worth of a calf or a colt. You scoff at the scrub and the mongrel as worthy of fool or dote. But what of your boy? Have you combed his needs for the coming year? Does your mark as his sire and his features mean less than your brand on a steer? Thoroughbred, that is your watchword for pasture and stable and pen. But what is your word for the homestead? Answer, you breeders of men. This man was a successful father because he gave first priority to it. Secondly, he was successful as a parent because he had a keen perception of the need of his son, a keen perception for the need of his children. Now, a great debate has ensued 
about the nature of illness in the New Testament, and these three accounts reflect differences of opinion. Mark says that he was possessed of a spirit. Luke says that he was seized by a spirit. And Matthew says that he was an epileptic. Was illness in the New Testament, demon possession, that's another debate. But what I want you to see this morning is that this father had a keen perception about his son's need and he was able to to, to see how it affected him and describe it with accurate detail. He wasn't one of these fathers who just kind of glanced at his son as their lives passed one another like ships in the night. He was personally involved in the life of his son and therefore he had a personal perception of of the need of his son. You know what I think is one of the big, big, urgent, crying needs of our time is for us as parents to be involved in the life of our children enough to understand where they are today. You've heard that slogan comes on right before the news. It's 10 o'clock. Do you know where your children are? Somebody said now the slogan should be it's 10 o'clock. You know where your parents are, you know. It's 10 o'clock. Do you know where your children are? Can I take that a step further? Do you know where your children are intellectually? Do you know where your children are emotionally? Do you know where your children are spiritually? You know know what? We're so involved in the affairs of our life. Our children have these hurts and these needs that we're not even conscious of until it's too late. And I heard a woman, as they interviewed her last week on Channel 5 News, as she's meeting with this group of people over in, over in Plano concerning crisis among children, among teenagers, and teenage suicides, she said, my son had polo shirts and Izod shirts, and I worked eight and ten hours a day so he could have everything else other boys had his age. And he sa- she said, you know, I didn't realize until it was too late that what he really needed was me. Said that over television. It's not some preacher talk. So I didn't realize until it was too late that what he really needed was me, and I wasn't there. The Pennsylvania... Uh, Journal of Police Enforcement ran this letter not too long ago written by a boy who ran away from home. They found him and asked him to come back. He wrote his parents a letter refusing. This is the letter. Remember? When I was about six or seven and I used to want you just to listen to me. I remember all the nice things you gave me for Christmas and my birthday and I was really happy with those things about a week at the time I got the things. But the rest of the time during the year, I really didn't want presents. I just wanted all the time for you to listen to me like I was somebody who felt things too. Because I remember even when I was young, I felt things, but you said you were busy. Mom, you're a wonderful cook. 
and you have everything so clean and you're so tired so much from doing all those things that made you busy. But you know something, Mom? I would have liked crackers and peanut butter just as well if you'd only sat down with me a while during the day and said to me, tell me about it so I maybe can help you understand, end quote. If anybody asks you where I am, tell them I've gone looking for somebody with time because I've got a lot of things I want to talk about. Do you know where your children are? Are, are, you, are you involved in the life of your children so you understand where they are? What I'm talking about is, is being available. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, uh, living the life of your children. I heard about this lady who said, uh, since I have only one life to live, I'm going to live my daughters. I, I'm, not, I'm not talking about having a child as a substitute parent. I'm talking about being available to them. Cross-cultural studies have indicated, would you listen to this? Cross-cultural studies have indicated that the average American family parent, the average American parents spend less time with their children than any other nation in the world. And that the average middle-income parent spends less than 20 minutes a day with his child. I'm talking about being available to them. I'm talking about being approachable to them. And psychologists have saying that young people have retreated into what they call the isolated syndrome of loud music and MTV. It's because their parents are not approachable. Not only was he a parent who gave priority to his role as a parent, not only did he have a keen perception about his son's need, but thirdly, he had a plan to do something about it. Brian Harbour says that he read an article one time and said this, quote, most Baptist churches treat single adults like second-class citizens not because they mean to, but because they never plan not to. Most parents fail their children not because they mean to. There's not a parent here this morning who is ineffective and unsuccessful as a parent because he wants to be or means to be. It's because we don't plan not to that we fail. Now I want to ask you, you compare how carefully you plan your day's activity and how casually you plan your involvement with your children. You contrast this morning how involved you are, how carefully and seriously you invest in your business with how you relate to your children. You, you contrast this morning how with meticulous detail you outline your, the journey of your summer vacation. You've already got it planned. You contrast that with how indifferently you're involved in the journey of your children. Do you have a plan for your children as a parent? When NASA decided they were going to put a man on the moon, they did what they called contingency planning. 
Contingency planning is this. It's to anticipate every potential problem. It's to, it's to plan for everything that might go wrong. And they went through all this ream, these reams of paper and they planned every possible failure and they made an adequate response to it. Are you doing any contingency planning for your children? Are you doing anything about developing them, some plan for them. And where does Jesus fit in? Now I don't know too much about this man in our text. Don't even know his name, but I know that the plan he had for, for his son not only involved these good men that he heard about, and there are a lot of good counselors, and there's a lot of good help available for you as a parent, but it not only involved these good laymen, these disciples, it involved Jesus. Where does Jesus fit into your plans as a parent? Are you making any plans that include Him in the raising of your children? Someone said that, that the home is an ex existential classroom and it lasts for about 18 years. And the problem is we're trying to teach without a lesson plan. What goes wrong with, with kids? Ask my mother. She'd probably tell you why kids go wrong. She had one that was rebellious. What, what happens? What, what causes? Are you listening to me? I'm trying to lay my heart out to you. Fathers, what happens? What causes kids to do what they do? Well, it's obviously not geographical. There are some productive citizens as well as uh, leeches on society. They come from everywhere. It doesn't matter where. It's not geographical. It's not educational. There are enough PhDs in prison to staff any university in Oklahoma. It's not denominational preference that causes kids to go wrong. Billy Graham said one day he went to preach in prison, preach a prison sermon. He said he was sitting in the chapel and the warden leaned over to him and innocently said, you'll be glad to know that half of our inmates are Baptists. He said, well, that's a, that's a lot of comfort. I mean, it's not denominational lies. I mean, we're the best we got and we got half the folks in prison. It's obviously not that. It's not sheer talent that causes them to do what they do. There are a lot of talented Christians and there are a lot of talented um, thieves. It's not sheer talent. It's not even circumstances. Let me tell you, some of the best people in the world come from the most unfortunate circumstances in life and vice versa. It's not that. You know what I think it is? I think it's the, it's the parent. I think that the one factor that means more than anything else in the way a child turns out is, his, is the influence of his home. And some have a negative influence, a terrible influence. One day a little girl came home from the zoo and she said, Mother, I saw a giraffe today and his neck was a mile long. And the mother said, Honey, I've told you a million under I've told you a million times not to exaggerate. I wonder where she learned to exaggerate. And this father came home one day, his wife met him at the door, and she said, Honey, my our son, you ought to have heard his language. That son 
cusses like a sailor and the father just went into a rage. He said, I'll teach that kid to curse. And he started up the stairs to get him, hit something on the stairs, came tumbling down. And, and after his unexpected descent, he let out a string of curse words. And the mother said, well, honey, come on in the kitchen. I think that's enough words for the first lesson. You know, you're going you're to teach him to curse. Wonder where he learned to curse. We, we learn what we live. Now, what is your plan for your children? Listen to me carefully. You're going to be asked to make a decision in a moment in an invitation that's a public one. What kind of plan have you developed for your children? I think there's one other thing that makes this man a successful parent. and I'll just brush it in the five minutes that are mine and I'll be through on time. And that is perseverance. He persevered. Now I don't know how many times this father, to how many places he went with his son. I mean he may have gone to a hundred different doctors and pious saints with this boy before we pick up the story. I don't know how many times he did, but I do know this. Verse 18 says that when the disciples couldn't help him, he waited around till he found Jesus. And he stayed even though he had been perhaps a hundred times, a hundred times to others and had come to these disciples who had miraculous power within their control. He was going to stay to the last resort. He was going to stay until the last hope. Mark Twain used to chide himself at how much money he invested and lost in new inventions. He said there were always new inventors coming up to him and saying, would you invest in my new invention? He was so gullible, it just looked like it would work. So he'd write him a check and it always failed. And he said, finally, I learned my lesson. So when the last young inventor came to me and asked me if I'd go in and as an investment in an investment in his new invention, I said, absolutely and positively not. That young inventor's name was Alexander Graham Bale. And his invention was a talking machine known as the telephone. I think it's more than just a story about Mark Twain. I think it's the parable of most parents. We invest and invest and invest in the life of our children and we see failure and we see failure and finally we give up and the next investment might have been the success the next investment of time, the next investment of prayer, the next investment of concern, the next investment of a listening ear, the next time you bring them to church, the next time you read the Scripture with them, the next investment might be the one that pays the dividends. Don't give up. Don't give up. Now listen to me. The time has come for the tide to turn. We've got to do something. We must do something about the condition of our world. We must do something, and it's got to begin in the home. I'm asking you this morning, be honest enough. Be honest enough to the question, does your children, does your family have first priority? If you're given first priority to your own recreation and fun and personal fulfillment. If you're giving first priority to your work, stop today. Stop 
today. Begin to perceive your children. Ask God to open your eyes to the needs of your children. Every one of them is different. Perceive where they are. Find out where they are. Don't wait another day. And begin to develop you a plan. There are all kinds of helps, but the greatest help is found right here in this Word and the, and the person about whom this Word is written. And start today with a commitment that you will not stop until that child is trained in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and make a promise before God and before men that you'll do it. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we come to you as parents struggling with our own problems and needs. So harassed by our own responsibilities and needs just to live and survive that we neglect the most precious thing in all the world the gift of a Christian home lovely children God convict us as to what is most important and if we have any desires any personal ambitions that would cause our children and our home, our wives to hurt, to be destroyed. God, I pray that on our knees, on our faces, we'd give it to you. I pray for every father, every parent in this place today that you will help us not just forgive us help us be successful parents. For I pray in the name of Jesus and for His sake. Now in a moment we're going to have invitation hymn and invitations. I want you this morning to do the hardest thing you've ever done. Father, I'm going to ask you to reach over and take your wife by the hand and say, I want you to go with me, just taking her by the hand will say it, I want you to go with me to the altar because I'm going to dedicate myself and our home to God to give it first priority with me. And I want you to go with me because you're a part of the plan. I'll need your help. I'm going to ask fathers to do that. And while fathers are coming with their wives, with mothers, there might be some of you, your husband would not be able to come with you, but you'd come as the leader of your home at this point in time to make that commitment. Young people, it may be up to you. And then I'm going to ask you to come this morning, if you need to do this, to come and give your heart and life to Jesus Christ first time. I talked to some this week who, are going, who may come this morning. I'm praying they'll come.
publicly professing their faith to Christ here. They've already done it in a private way, coming today. And maybe you need just to come and join the church because God is leading you to place your life here. Parents, I'll not talk with you. Just, you'll just come and stand here. The rest who are coming on these other decisions, I want to visit with you just briefly. Let's do it right now while we stand. You come.